Well, happy Palm Sunday, New Hope Community Church. Welcome to our online church community. A big shout out and a big up to our 8 a.m. early risers. We're so grateful and thankful that you have tuned in uh, to worship Jesus, but also to hear his word this morning. We're going to take a break from our series from 1 Peter and uh, concentrate and celebrate and commemorate these next two Sundays, uh, being starting with Palm Sunday and then Good Friday and obviously Resurrection Sunday, the Super Bowl Sunday of uh, Christians all around the world. And um, you know what? We are literally joining millions and millions of uh, Christians all around the world uh, commemorating this holy day where Jesus goes into Jerusalem and he has his triumphal entry and to really uh, take note of his last week here on earth. So would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 verses 28 to 38 as we talk, it, as we talk about blessed is the crucified king. Blessed is the crucified king. You know, this will be the sixth year straight and probably about my 10th a sermon or message on Palm Sunday. I went through Matthew, Mark's, Luke's, and John's gospel. I, you know, went through just the etymology of Hoshia now. What does that mean? Historical cultural context, and it's kind of difficult to navigate my way around and try to think up of something new or novel or uh, creative uh, to share the word of God. And you know, I was going to talk about you know when people uh, they tell you a compliment. Right, it's like, oh man, you did such a great job. Oh, you, you that was such amazing work that you did. Or when, when someone tells me, hey, uh, John, that was a really great sermon, and um, my response uh, these last uh, couple of weeks has been, and my default is, I was like, hey, sister, hey, brother, thank you so much. Jesus is good, but just I have no illusions of grandeur. It's all Jesus because it would be just like on Palm Sunday where that little donkey, right, that colt, all he's doing is being rode on by Jesus and people are laying down their cloaks and people are putting down their palm branches and he's like, oh, I must be kind of a big deal, huh? And people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest and thinking it's about him. So it's not about him. It's not about me. It's not about the donkey. But it is about, not even about the palm branches, but it is about Jesus and how Jesus had this laser-like focus of his identity of what he was come, what he has come to this earth to do, which is to die for our sins and to be resurrected. And so we're going to be talking about blessed is the crucified king from Luke chapter 19. So let's turn in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, or a young donkey, which is a donkey four years or younger, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away found it and Jesse had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. 
and they brought it to Jesus. Throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is the word of the Lord. Gracious Father, we need you, O Lord, because oftentimes things that are familiar become contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. And we need your Holy Spirit right now to open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your law. We need the Spirit of God to not only awaken, but to quicken our spirit so that we would not just be familiar, Lord, but with our hearts, with our mind, with our soul, with our strength, Lord, that we would receive all that you have for us this Palm Sunday, 2022, that we would welcome and follow this crucified King, the blessed King who is you, Lord. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So why did Jesus ride and make his procession riding on a donkey? All the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, they recorded that Jesus rode on the donkey. But only Luke's Gospel records that they set Jesus on the donkey. All the other Gospels, they said, you know, they Jesus rode on a donkey, but... You know, Luke was a physician. He has an eye for detail. So it actually said that they set, they lifted Jesus on this donkey. And another thing is that this is the only instance in the whole Testament, New Testament, where Jesus wrote on, a, wrote on something. Everywhere that Jesus went, he didn't ride on chariots, he didn't ride on horses, he didn't ride on donkeys, but he walked everywhere. And this is the only instance where he, he is set upon and he rides on a donkey. And why did Jesus ride on a donkey? It's to fulfill a messianic prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, meaning that this was predicted hundreds of years before that there would be a king who would be meek and lowly and he was going to make this triumphal entrance, this procession, as it were, into Jerusalem and he'd be riding on a donkey. Let's look at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem begins in Palm Sunday. It, it begins with this festive procession from the top of Mount Olives into the Valley of Kidron and into the city's eastern gate. And he's welcomed into Jerusalem like this triumphant king with people in Matthew, Mark, and even John's Gospels with people waving palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And they're laying their cloaks on the ground 
Only Luke's gospel is the one that doesn't mention Hosanna. But the word Hosanna in Hebrew means Hoshiana, which means deliver us, save us now. Hoshia, save us, and the word na is a uh, particle of entreaty meaning now or please. So save us now. And oddly, Jesus, he rides on a donkey. And uh, as he rides on this donkey, it's to fulfill what we just read in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. That he is to ride in a donkey that is humble and mounted. And the word humble there, I highlighted it, is the Hebrew word ani. And the word ani means to be poor or afflicted. All right. Uh, the word humble is probably uh, influenced by the Greek word praus, which means unassuming, uh, considering, or, or meek. But literally, in the Old Testament Hebrew, it, it says right there that Jesus wrote that the king is poor, or the word we get humble, ani. So poverty is a central theme in Jesus' ministry. And he encourages disciples to give to earthly goods to, uh, to follow him. And it's prominent in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And on Palm Sunday, when Jesus begins his procession from the house of Mary and Martha, he is located in a village called what? In, G in the Gospel of John. In Bethany. Now the word Bethany... It's from two Hebrew words, Beit, like Bethlehem. Beit means house. Ani, which we just read, I just told you, is poor. So Jesus, he is this humble. He is literally poor. He, he does not own property. He relied on the hospitality of strangers. This is the Passover week, and people are coming into this epicenter of religious activities, and people are making their their accommodations in the central town of Jerusalem. But where does Jesus stay? He stays in Beit Ani, Bethany, the house of the poor, for a week because he couldn't afford to live in Jerusalem, the central town. And then when he rides, it's a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9 that he rides meek and lowly and poor in spirit. And Here's the main point that I want us to um, think about today, all right, and to live out. Would you write this down? Resolve to follow the crucified Jesus. Resolve to follow the crucified Jesus. This is it. This is the big idea. We are to have a predetermined, a premeditated resolve, resolution to follow not just any Jesus, but the crucified Jesus. Where do I get this idea of resolve? It's found in the Gospel of uh, Luke, chapter 9. A couple chapters uh, before that, it says in verse 51, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So, in other words, Jesus understood his mission. He, he did not 
cross the bridge until he got there. But he made up his mind. He set his heart. He set his face. This word set your face is found in Isaiah chapter 50 verse 7 where it says, But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. I have set my face, my gaze, my focus, my attention, my priority like flint. And I know that I will not be put to shame. In other words, Jesus, he understood his identity and his mission. He, he made up his mind to go to Jerusalem. And it's crazy because if you read the Gospels, you see that people were trying to force Jesus to be the king. In fact, in John chapter 6, verse 15, it says, Perceiving when they're about to take him, that they were about to come and take Jesus by force. They were going to force him to be the king and to be this victorious and conquering king. So Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. In fact, uh, prominent in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of Mark, there's this idea of messianic secret where Jesus, he strictly forbids, he strictly tells people, shh, don't tell people that I'm the Christ. Don't tell people I'm the, the Messiah. Don't let anyone know. Matthew chapter 16, verse 20, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The context of this was that uh, Jesus has given them the keys of the kingdom. If you bind anything on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. He says, Psh, but don't let anybody know that I'm the Christ. In Mark chapter 3, verse 12, and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So Jesus just casted out demons and he told the demons and everybody, hey, don't let everybody know. Don't let anyone know that I'm the Christ, that I can cast out demons. In Mark chapter 5, verse 43, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this. Jesus just healed Jairus' daughter. And, he, and Jesus tells, hey, feed her something, but don't let anybody know that I am the Messiah, that I am the Christ. In Mark chapter 8, verse 29 to 30, and he asked Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him why did jesus do that why did he if you know we're supposed to evangelize and tell jesus and tell the whole world that jesus is the christ right that jesus is the messiah but why did jesus peppered throughout the gospels he told him don't tell anybody about my mission my time has not yet come they wanted to take him by force but he withdrew why did jesus do that Jesus did not want to be misunderstood and he did not want to be known as a miracle worker. He did not want to be, have a reputation as a supernatural healer, that he's an exorcist, that he could exorcise demons out. He knew who he was and that he knew that he was going to be a suffering servant. And so when people expected him to heal and cast demons and to raise the dead and perform miracles, turn the water into wine, multiply bread and, and fish and to feed the, the, the masses, Jesus in Luke chapter 9, it says, he set his face. He made a resolve to go to Jerusalem to die. He made a resolution that this is, you know what, I'm not, my first coming, 
I'm coming as a suffering servant. I'm going to come and I'm going to serve. I'm going to give my life as a ransom so that many will be saved. I'm not going to come in a, a white stallion, a conquering king with a sword like Revelation 19. His first advent, he came to serve, but in his second advent, he has come to conquer and to judge and to rule. And so here's the first sub point that I want us to understand is that Jesus was resolute in his identity as the suffering servant. He was resolute in his identity as the suffering servant. He set his face in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. But before that, in verse 22, it says, Jesus says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and a third day be raised. And later on in verses 44 to 45, it says, let those words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed to them so that they might not perceive it. They didn't understand because the disciples had a flawed understanding of Jesus' identity. They saw him as a king moving in to take control, and Jesus was taking control. But they could not grasp the victory that Jesus would win in Jerusalem over Satan, over sin and death and all the enemies of righteousness and joy. His victory would be won through suffering and death and that the kingdom which they thought would be established immediately would be in fact thousands of years in coming. And the disciples' misunderstanding of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem results in a misunderstanding of discipleship. And this is why we need to see it lest we, we make the same mistake. Remember our verse in Luke chapter 9, verse 51 to 53, and how Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem? To set his face to Jerusalem meant something very different for Jesus than it did for the disciples. You could see it in the disciples, right? That they had these visions of greatness that danced in their heads. And actually in Luke chapter 9, verse 46, there was an argument who would be the greatest among them. Jerusalem and glory were just around the corner. And what that would mean to be Jesus on their throne and for them to be right next to Jesus and have this position of power and authority and popularity and acclaim. And Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. For the most part, Jesus was a Galilean. He was a carpenter boy from Nazareth. He was in these outskirts. But he goes in the last week of his ministry. He, before all this, he told everybody, don't let anybody know I'm the Messiah. But now it's Passover week and he's, he makes up his mind to go to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem is the epicenter of religious activity. Let me ask you something. If you were, um, if you're an aspiring actor or musician, 
where do you think you would grow and reach your potential? What place? Hollywood, right? Or Nashville, Tennessee. If you wanted to be an aspiring vocalist and do Broadway, where would you go? You would go to New York. If you're an aspiring pro surfer, where would you live and be discovered? In the North Shore, Haleiwa, right? With John John Florence and, and Jamie O'Brien. Well, Jerusalem was a... It's God's holy city and Jesus, he set his mission. He made up his mind to go to Jerusalem, but Jesus had another vision on his head. And here's what Jerusalem meant for Jesus. In Luke chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus says, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the following day, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem meant one thing for Jesus. It means a certain death. He wasn't in any illusions that his death would be quick and heroic. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, verse 31, it says, Behold, we're going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written in the Son may be, or the Son of Man may the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and they will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and they will scourge him, and they will kill him. So when Jesus, he set, when he set his face to Jerusalem, he set his face to die through crucifixion. And we must remember, when you think of Jesus' resolution to die, that he had a nature like ours that he shrunk back from pain like we do. That if he got burned by a candle, he would pull away. When he saw his friend Lazarus die, he wept. Jesus would have enjoyed marriage and children and grandchildren and a long life and esteem in the community. Jesus had a mother, he had a father, he had brothers, he had sisters. He had special places in the mountains where he would withdraw by himself to pray. And to turn back on all of this and to set his face towards a vicious whipping, an excruciating beating and spitting and mocking and crucifixion was not easy. And it was extremely difficult. But yet Jesus made up his mind to be crucified. And we must follow this crucified Jesus. Let's go to back to our text in Luke chapter 9, verse 52 to 53. Here's the second point, that Jesus' journey is our journey. Jesus' journey is our journey. See, there's God's understanding that to go through eternal life, that blood must be shed. There, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is Jesus' understanding that the road through freedom, the narrow road that leads to eternal life requires suffering and death, death to yourself, denying yourself, take up your cross daily. And if it happens to Jesus and it happens to Christ, it happens to those who are in Jesus and to those who are in Christ. See, our understanding is that we want Resurrection Sunday without the crucifixion of Good Friday. We want the, the rose without the thorns. We want hope 
without despair. We want resurrection without death. And we must follow the crucified Jesus. And His journey is our journey. Hebrews says that if we come to Jesus, we must come to Him as He is. That He is a rewarder of those who seek after Him. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. I've been born and raised in church. I'm 42 years old and to see the people that have walked away because they have a wrong understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. They follow Jesus on their own terms and their own understanding. I'll follow Jesus if, if He heals me. I'll follow Jesus if, he, uh, if I get married. I'll follow Jesus if, if, you know, if my loved one lives on. And when death and despair and problems and crisis and adversity and trials, people walk away from the faith. I had a friend in Bible college, you know, kind of mess around with his girlfriend and, and he just kind of reasoned his own sin. It's like, why am I feeling bad? How do you need to follow this Jesus? You know, we're, we're going to get married anyways. And um, so he just walked away from the faith because he wanted to follow Jesus on his own terms. But if we want to, this Palm Sunday, we must follow the journey of Jesus, that Jesus' journey is our journey, and we must follow the crucified Jesus. Let's look back at our text as we close. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went ahead and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So it doesn't really matter whether this rejection is just because who Jesus is and his or his companions were Jews and the Samaritans hated the Jews. But the main thing is that Jesus is already being rejected. But as he's being rejected, his face was set towards Jerusalem, towards death. Look at verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume these Samaritans? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. This is John, the same John, beloved, who 1 John 4, let us love one another. He calls fire to kill people. Aren't you glad for the grace of God at work, right? But what does this mean? We see here an insight into the disciples' theology or understanding of discipleship. They had a mistaken view of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And this mistaken view of His journey to Jerusalem led to a mistaken view of discipleship. See, if Jesus had come to execute judgment and take up an earthly rule, then it would make sense for the sons of thunder to begin the judgment when the final siege of the holy cities takes place. But Jesus did not come to judge, but to save. And so as we wrap this up, what James and John had to learn and what we must all learn is that the Jesus journey to Jerusalem 
is our journey. If he set his face to go there and die, we must set our face to die with him. Let's not be tempted to think about the opposite way. Well, you know, since Jesus suffered so much and died in our place, you know what? We are free to go straight ahead in front of the class, as it were. He suffered so we could have comfort. He died so we could live. He bore abuse so we could be esteemed. He gave up the treasures of heaven so we could lay up treasures on earth. He brought the kingdom and paid for our entrance so now we could live in all of earthly, earthly privileges. But this is not biblical reasoning. It goes against the very plain teaching of Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, he will save it. So when Jesus set his face to the Calvary Road, he was not merely taking our place, he was setting a pattern. He is substitute and pace setter. If we seek to secure our life through Him, returning evil for evil, surrounding ourselves with luxury in the face of human need, we will lose our life. We can save our life only if we follow Jesus on the Calvary Road. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we need your grace. Lord, uh, it seems like the culture and everything in us screams to avoid pain, avoid the cross, avoid the crucifixion. But Lord, I pray, God, that we would walk as you walk. We would remember the road that you took to set us free. And so, Lord, I pray, God, this Palm Sunday, we honor you, we worship you, this humble, meek, lowly king, this suffering servant, you're now glorified, seated at the right hand of God. And I pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen your people to live like you, to walk as you walk. And Lord, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow you daily, the crucified Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining in, you guys. Happy Palm Sunday. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give you peace. We love you guys, and we'll see you good Friday, 7 p.m. and Easter next Sunday, 8 a.m. online and 10 a.m. in person. Have an amazing week.